just like uh, Charles was saying, I've known Tim and Grace for quite a few years, and I've always just had so much uh, respect, really, and admiration for them and their faithfulness and how they served in Croatia, and now how they're serving here in Las Vegas. And I've heard a lot about your church, so it's good to be here with you and get to uh, experience it for myself. So, you know, I think that's cool that you guys get to have bacon at your uh, breakfast, because I live in Boulder, and they don't believe in bacon, so... Like, uh, you just probably don't even realize, like, what a nice blessing you have there. Like, if we were going to have a church potluck, it would be, like, uh, fermented beans and raw kale. That's all that we would have. And uh, no one enjoys it. Like, no one actually likes eating that stuff, but they do. And that's all we can eat. It's actually really hard to have a potluck in Boulder because you have to provide for all the different, you know, specific needs, right? Like, we got the raw vegans, we got the normal vegans, we got the paleo people. So anyway, it's really difficult. I mean, it's, you should understand what a great blessing it is to live in Las Vegas and be able to eat whatever you want and not be judged. So please open with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. The title of today's message is Hidden Treasure, and we're going to begin by reading our text, which comes from Matthew 13, through 52, and then we're going to pray and get into God's Word. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. But then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it in ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but they threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we do ask that as we study it this morning, Lord, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, Lord, that we would understand these wonderful truths of your word. Lord, we pray that we would be able to understand what it is that you're speaking to us through this. What is this great treasure that you're speaking of here, and Lord, how that applies to our lives. So Lord, we pray that today you would give us a greater understanding of the gospel. Lord, because we know that the gospel isn't just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's not just the ABCs of Christianity. Lord, it's the A to the Z. It's not only how we become Christians, it's how we grow as Christians. So Lord, I ask that you would help us to see the gospel clearly this morning, that we might be changed and transformed by it, and that we might grow as a result of it. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. November 16th, 1992, was a day that changed Peter Watling's life forever. Peter Watling was a tenant farmer on a small piece of land outside of Suffolk, England. Now, tenant farmer means that he didn't own that land. He just rented that land. He was doing the best that he could to scrape by and make a living. Well, one day he's out working in his field and he realizes that he lost his hammer. So as he's been out working, at some point during the day, he had lost his hammer. Now, two concerns came to his mind when he realized that he had lost his hammer somewhere in in the field. Number one, he didn't really want to buy a new hammer because that's just a, a hassle, right? But number two, more importantly, he was worried 
Because what if later on he's going through his field with some kind of piece of farm equipment or something and he runs over that hammer and it causes damage and that hammer's going to cause damage to his equipment and so he needs to find this hammer. It's very important to him. And so all that afternoon and into the evening, he searched the field looking for the hammer, but he couldn't find it. So the next morning he got up and he called his neighbor who was a retired gardener named Eric Laws. Now Eric... Uh, owned a small metal detector, and Peter knew that, and so he asked Eric to come over and use his metal detector in his field to help him find this hammer. So Eric brings over his metal detector, and they start walking through the field. And at one point, the metal detector starts going off, and uh, they start looking around, and they don't find the hammer, but just beneath the soil, they find a silver spoon. And then they found another silver spoon next to it that seemed to be of some antiquity. And then they found even some jewelry and a coin. Let me ask you this. What would you do if you found something like that? Well, Peter and Eric were honest people, and they did what they were supposed to do by law, which was they alerted the Suffolk County Council. So the next day, a group of archaeologists was brought in to do an emergency uh, excavation of that site. And a few feet below the surface, they found a wooden chest. And in that chest, they found the largest collection of gold and silver coins from the Roman Empire that has ever been discovered. Uh, 14,865 Roman coins made of gold, silver, and bronze, along with 200 other objects of silver and gold, were unearthed in what is now known as the Hawksney Horde. Eric and Peter were very excited, of course, until they found out that the government uh, had declared this a treasure trove, which meant that the government laid claim to it. But although they, they weren't allowed to keep the treasure, the British government was required by law to pay them the face value of everything they had unearthed. So they went before a council, and after months of review, what is now known, of course, as the Hawksney Horde is, was valued at $4.5 million dollars which uh, they immediately paid to Eric Laws, the man who had the metal detector. Now, Eric, though, being a man of character, he knew that the only reason he had been on that field in the first place with the metal detector was because his friend Peter Watling had invited him to come, so they split the money 50-50. And I know what you're wondering. Whatever happened to the hammer, right? Like, did they find the hammer? Yes, they did find the hammer. But that day, Peter Watling decided he's retired. He doesn't need a hammer anymore. And so he donated that hammer to the British Museum to go along with the display of the Hawksney Horde and to be part of the story. And let me just say, don't you love stories like this? Don't you love stories? Uh, like, so a few weeks ago, I was with my family, and we were in a hotel room, and I was, you know, watching TV, and I was watching Antique Roadshow. So my wife comes into the room, and she's like, why in the world are you watching Antique Roadshow? Like, like how old are you, right? And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is the most exciting show on TV, because the whole show is about this. It's like these people find these things in their garage or in their grandmother's house that are worth a fortune, right? Like this one lady had this old doll from France, turned out to be worth $20,000, Sometimes you hear these stories, like the guy who bought a painting at a garage sale only to discover that an original copy of the Declaration of Independence was hidden behind the painting. And you think, wow, that kind of thing only happens once in a lifetime until four years later, someone buys a copy of the Declaration of Independence at a Nashville thrift store for $2.48 and takes it home wondering how much this thing might actually be worth, how, mu- how old it might be. He gets it checked out only to find out it's one of only 200 known original copies of the Declaration of Independence and he sells it at an auction for $500,000. It's stories like this that make you start looking at your grandma's house in a different way, right? It's every time you drive by a garage sale, you start wondering, 
wow, what would it be like if I stumbled upon something of incredible value that people are just overlooking, that people aren't even realizing how, what a great value it is? It would change my life forever. I wonder where those things are and how I could stumble upon something like that. Maybe you've heard the story a few years ago. It was all over the news. It was on CBS uh, 60 Minutes about a man named Jay Miskovich. Jay Miskovich claimed that he had found a treasure map that led him to a shipwreck off the coast of Florida, which contained a treasure trove of gems that was said to be worth billions of dollars. And after even CBS got on board and investigated the whole thing, it turned out later that the whole thing was just made up. It was a complete hoax. But before he got busted, Jay Miskovich conned a whole bunch of people into investing $8 million into this venture in the hopes that they could have a part in this hidden treasure. You see, there's something about hidden treasure that fascinates us, that intrigues us. It's why people play the lottery. It's why people gamble. It's the prospect that there are things out there of great value just waiting to be found that could completely change your life if you were to just stumble upon them. They could completely change the destiny, the course, your entire future forever. And so it's no wonder that on this day when Jesus was speaking to this crowd of people who had gathered to listen to him speak, he began talking to them about hidden treasure. It would have been even more relevant to them in that day than it is to us in our day because, see, in that day and age, they didn't have a banking system like we do. And so if you had money or if you had something that was of great value, you'd have to try really hard to keep it safe and make sure that nobody took it or stole it from you. My wife's mom is from Peru. And in Peru, you know, and in other developing countries around the world, the currency is so volatile that you don't want to keep even your money in the bank, even if there are banks. And so, you know, because if the currency devalues overnight, then you just lost all your money. And so what people do in developing countries, even to this day, is they, they keep their money in things that don't devalue, like jewelry, gold. But see, when you have those things, you've got to figure out where to hide them where they won't be taken. So you might hide it in hidden compartments in your house, or you might bury it in the ground somewhere. But then what happens when people die unexpectedly is that if they were the only one who knew where those valuables were hidden, then the secret of where that was located dies with them, and you actually have legitimate hidden treasure on your hands just out there waiting to be found. This actually happened to my wife when her mom died a few years ago. My, my wife's mother had hidden her valuables uh, all over her house, and she died without telling anyone where they were located. So they had to dig through the entire house, and my wife finally found her mom's jewelry, uh, all of her wealth that she kept in this jewelry. She finally found it at the bottom of a garment bag after days and days, maybe even weeks of searching. So we're fascinated by this idea of hidden treasure, of finding something of great value that could change your life forever if you were to stumble upon it. And Jesus says, let's talk more about that. Here in Matthew chapter 13, by the way, Jesus makes a change in the way that he speaks. Up until this point, he's been very straightforward with everything that he's been teaching. But now opposition has arisen uh, and it's began to increase towards Jesus. Jesus had made some pretty serious claims, you know. He claimed to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He claimed that he himself could forgive people's sins, that he could give people, grant people eternal life. And some people heard that and they said, wait a second, only God can do those things. And Jesus said, yeah, that's right. Jesus was calling people to follow him. Jesus was calling people to believe in him. And some of the religious leaders of that day didn't like it. And so there was this growing opposition against Jesus and this message which he was teaching, and it was coming from the Jewish religious leaders. And so here in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus changes his style of teaching and preaching, and he switches to teaching in parables. 
And his disciples even ask him here in this chapter in uh, Matthew 13, verse 10, why do you speak to the people in parables, they ask? And Jesus says, it's for two reasons. Number one, it's to reveal truth to those who want to understand it. But secondly, it's to conceal what I'm saying to those who are not really interested in understanding what I'm saying. They're just looking for sound bites, right? Things that they can pin on me or use against me. And so to prevent people from being able to do that, Jesus began speaking in parables. They were illustrations. They were analogies that helped people understand and relate to the spiritual principles that he was teaching. So for the critics who were just waiting for him to say something that they could pin on him, that they could use against him, they wouldn't get anything because at the end of the day, He's just telling stories, right? Just telling stories about a guy who found something in a field and and a net that was cast out in the sea. But see, for those who were really listening, they would pick up what he was putting down. And if they didn't get it, then they would stick around afterwards and Jesus would explain the parable to them, to to those who really wanted to understand what he was teaching. Not only are those these particular parables about hidden treasure, but I guess you could say that really hidden treasure describes what Jesus' parables are all about. Really, they're amazing truths that are hidden in little stories. To discover the meaning of them, you have to do a little work. You have to dig a little. One of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs chapter 2, and it says this, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures... Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So here is a crowd that has gathered. And Jesus says to them, the kingdom of heaven is like, well, let me stop you right there. What is the kingdom of heaven? Let's talk about this. These parables here in Matthew 13 are known as the kingdom parables because each of them begins with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. So the first question we have to ask before we can move on is, well, what is the kingdom of heaven? Let me put it to you this way. How do you decide where someone's kingdom is or how far someone's kingdom extends? See, someone's kingdom is wherever they have rule, wherever they have reign, wherever they are honored and recognized and revered as king. So the kingdom of heaven is anywhere where God has rule and reign. So in one sense, though, the kingdom of heaven refers to heaven as we think of it as a place where those of us who have put our faith in Jesus will one day go. But in another sense, the kingdom of heaven is here and now, wherever God has rule and reign and is honored and recognized and revered as king. That's why Jesus said, he said, the kingdom of God has come near and it is among us, but it can also be within us. And so it begs the question, does God have rule and reign over your life? Does God have rule and reign over every area of your life? That's a question I would encourage you to ponder and ask yourself. Are you part of his kingdom? Is his kingdom within you? The kingdom of heaven is both a then, meaning a future thing, and it is a now. So it's both a then and a now. It's an already but a not yet. The kingdom of heaven is here now in part, but the day is coming when the kingdom of heaven will be here in fullness. And we long for that day when everything will be right, when there will be no more sin, no more suffering, no more pain, no more death forever. We long for that day, but here's the thing that I want you to see with these kingdom parables. We can experience the rule and reign of God in our lives here and now. 
Which is why when Jesus came on the scene, his message was the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe. Change directions. Make God your king. Give him rule and reign over your life. You know what the kingdom of heaven is like? It's like a treasure that was hidden in a field. And someone found that treasure. And then in his joy, and I love that part, in his joy, he went out and sold all that he had. And he bought that field. Or maybe you could put it another way. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who was looking for fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he sold all that he had and he bought it. You know, Jesus once posed a question. A question which is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. He asked the question, what does it benefit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? If you succeed in every way in this life, professionally, financially, in your family, but in the end you lose your soul, then what have you gained? But here's the thing. All of us have a debt before God. We have a debt which we're incapable of paying. But the message of the gospel is that God loves you so much that he came and he paid that debt for you on your behalf in the person of Jesus Christ. And as a result, you can be forgiven. You can have a relationship with God in which he comes into your life, and he changes you and transforms you. You can walk through this life holding the hand of the creator of the universe and calling him father. And when this life is over, you get eternal life in his kingdom forever. That's an incredible treasure. There was a young man who came to Jesus one day, and he was rich, he was influential. Everything that people tend to need, feel that they need or want, everything that this man needed or wanted in life, He had it all. But there was one thing that kept him up at night. There was one thing which he said, I I can't sleep at night because I'm haunted by this question. What's going to happen to me when this life is over? What happens after this? This life was all taken care of for this man, but he says, I don't know what's going to happen to me when I die. If I died today, I don't know where I would end up. And he came to Jesus and he asked Jesus, he said, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus looked at him, and I love this, it says, Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. And he said to him, there's one thing that you lack. Go and sell all that you have to the poor, and give, or go and sell all that you have and give it all to the poor. Come and follow me, and then you will have, what? Treasure in heaven. And it says that the man walked away sad, because he had many possessions here on earth. What was Jesus doing? See, he didn't require everybody to do this, did he? He was pushing this guy's buttons. He knew that this was the button that needed to be pushed in this guy's life. He was making a point. He was saying to this man, man, if you only understood, if you could only see, if you only knew the value of this, you would be willing to give up everything you have. You would leave it all behind right now. You would never look back. You would follow me. But instead, you're so worried about what it's going to cost you, what you might have to give up in order to take hold of it. And you're comparing what I'm offering you to what you have back home. You don't get it. You don't see it. You don't understand the value of what I'm offering you. If you did, you wouldn't even think twice. You'd give it all up in a heartbeat in exchange for the treasure which I'm offering you. I think so many of us are like that rich young ruler. We're so worried about what it's going to cost us if we really give our life over to God, if we really say it's all yours. 
We're worried about what we might have to give up if we truly follow Jesus wholeheartedly. I remember having those feelings myself as a, as a young man, having understood the gospel. I wanted so much to know and experience the love of God and experience forgiveness and this new life and this relationship with God, but I was worried. I was worried about what I would have to give up if I did that, if I took that step and became a Christian. But I want you to see what this parable says to that mentality and that way of thinking. This man who has stumbled upon this great treasure hidden in a field, did he have to give anything up in order to take hold of it? Yeah, actually, he had to give up everything. He had to sell all of his possessions. Maybe he owned pieces of land. Maybe he owned a house or a car or, a, I don't know, a flat screen TV. I don't know. But whatever kind of things he had, he took everything he had and he sold it all. Why? In order to get something better. Right? So he sold everything he had. Why? To get something better. And that's the point. Is it going to cost you something in order to take hold of the treasure of the kingdom of God? That's a question. Is it going to cost you something? I don't know. But maybe. In fact, maybe it might even cost you everything. But let me tell you this. Whatever the cost is, is it worth it? Absolutely. More than worth it. No question. Let me put it in these terms to you. Do you see God primarily as useful or beautiful? Do you see God primarily, do you relate to God primarily as one who is useful to you or one who you find incredibly beautiful? A lot of people, the way they relate to God, right, they see him as useful. Uh, a lot of people, my, my family members, you know, who aren't Christians, they know I'm a pastor and they'll, they always talk about the big guy upstairs, right? They ask me if I can pull some strings for them, right? help them get the things that they want in life, maybe get some prayers answered, help them achieve some goals. But see, when you really understand the gospel, you cease from worshiping God because you find him useful and you begin to worship him because you find him beautiful, because you've seen the beauty of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The rich young ruler, he viewed Jesus as useful to him until following Jesus meant giving up the things that he really treasured in life. But when you see Jesus as he truly is, <clears throat> as the all-surpassing greatest treasure, then there's nothing you wouldn't give up in order to take hold of him. So let me ask you again, do you primarily see God? Do you primarily relate to God as useful to you or as beautiful to you? <clears throat> what does it benefit a person if they gain the whole world and yet lose their own soul? That was the question Jesus asked. And then he followed it up with a second question. And what would a person give in exchange for their soul. Let me ask you this. Is there anything in your life that is a hindrance to you having a relationship with God, but yet you're so afraid of letting it go that you're holding on to it? Even though it's a hindrance, is there anything in your life like that? It's a hindrance to your relationship with God, but you're so afraid of letting it go that you're holding on to it at the expense of not taking hold of the treasure of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is talking about with this question. I want to encourage you to ask that question yourself because what Jesus is saying is this, that it is not worth it. It's not worth it to hold on to anything that would keep you from the greatest treasure that exists. You know, Jim Elliott, the missionary to Ecuador, he famously said this, he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. You cannot keep your life. That's the facts. Sooner or later, you will lose it or it will be taken from you whichever comes first. But if you give your life to God, you will gain treasure of 
unimaginable worth, and no one and nothing can ever take it away from you. Forgiveness, acceptance, salvation, new life, a relationship with your Creator, everlasting hope. So let me ask you these two questions. Do you understand the value of this treasure? Do you understand the value of this treasure? And secondly, do you view Christianity primarily in terms of what you gain or in terms of what you give up? So do you view Christianity primarily in terms of what you gain or in terms of what you give up? You know, it's funny, looking back on the things that I was so worried about losing as a young man when I was starting to follow Jesus, they seem so trivial now in retrospect. Maybe some of you can relate to that too. And to think that I almost let those things stand in the way or keep me from taking hold of the greatest treasure that's ever existed. You see, Christianity isn't about what you give up. It's about what you gain. Think about this. When these people, having found this treasure, when they went out and started selling all that they had, I think that we take that part of the story and we just kind of read it. Okay, they sold everything they had. But really think about that. What was that like? They having a garage sale. Imagine if you went and sold everything you had. Think about your family members. What would they say about you? Your coworkers. They'd start getting worried about you, right? Like you lost your mind. They'd say, why are you doing this? And you can't tell them about the treasure yet, right? Because if they find out about the treasure that's hidden in the field, well, then it's not going to be there when you go to get it once you sell all your stuff and get the field, right? So you can't tell anybody about this. And so you would look like a crazy person. And in the same way, I think, though, if, if we are followers of Jesus and we've received this treasure, it will cause us, in the same way, to live in ways that seem utterly ridiculous to people who don't know the treasure that we've found in Him. Some people might look at my finances and say, that's too much, man. It's too much generosity. Why? Why are you giving away so much? They might look at your marriage and they might say, why are you staying with him? Look at him. Why are you still with him? They don't get it. It seems ridiculous. People should look at the way that you treat your enemies or or the way that you forgive those who have hurt you and say, that doesn't make sense. That's ridiculous. It doesn't, doesn't add up. You see, of course, it seems ridiculous to them because they don't know the treasure that you found. If they did, of course, they would understand the generosity, the faithfulness, the love the forgiveness, even for our enemies, because that's what Jesus has done for us. That's what he's given to us, and it changed everything. But here's the thing. I know I just talked to you for like 30 minutes, but maybe these two stories we've been talking about, maybe they're actually about something else completely altogether. See, what if, what if that's not what the story's really about? What if we're not the ones who find the treasure. What if we are the treasure? What if in that parable that Jesus told right before this one, uh, you know, Jesus, he, he talks about a field in an earlier parable in the same chapter. In verse 36, his disciples come to him and they ask about this parable. And he says to them in verses 37 and 38, he says, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man and the field is the world. So here's another parable in which Jesus is talking about a field and he says that the field represents the world. And so what if in the parable of the hidden treasure too, the one we're reading today, the field still represents the world? So who is it who has come into the world and given us everything, given everything they have in order to redeem a treasure from the world? Well, that's not us, is it? That would be Jesus. And so that would mean that the merchant in the parable who's searching for fine pearls, that would mean that that is God and the treasure is actually us. And the point of the parable would then be this, that God considers you 
such a great treasure, so precious, so valuable, that he was willing to give up everything in order to take hold of you and to make you his own. Friends, that's the message of the gospel right there. It's not what we've done for him, it's what he's done for us because of his great love for us. Anything we do for him is just response. It's response out of a grateful and thankful heart that is blown away that he would love us that much, that he would come and give everything in order that we might be his. See, this parable is about how God sees you, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We are the treasure that he came to redeem. And maybe you say, wait a second, I don't know if this adds up, right? Because so why does Jesus have to buy the world back? Doesn't Jesus, doesn't he already own the world? I mean, isn't he God? Well, I don't know. Three times in the Bible, Jesus refers to Satan as the prince or the ruler of this world. When Jesus was out in the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan, Satan came to him and said, hey, I'll make you a deal. You don't have to go through with that whole cross thing. You can skip that. You can skip all the, all the pain. If you just bow to me right now and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus didn't argue with him. Jesus didn't say, you don't have any right to give kingdoms. I own all the kingdoms. He didn't say that. He said, uh, he didn't say anything. He didn't argue. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, we're told that God does have rule and reign over our lives if his kingdom is in us. And yet it tells us this, that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. And so the message of the gospel is that God loves you and he gave everything in the world in order to redeem you so that you could be his. In the book of Revelation chapter 5, the last book of the Bible, it's apocalyptic literature. Much of it is metaphorical, but John the Apostle, he writes this book based on a vision that he had while he was in exile on the island of Patmos. He was in exile for being a Christian. And the message of Revelation is this. Here's how it's all going to end. And in the end, God wins. Kingdoms and powers are going to try their best, but in the end, God will win. Evil will be defeated once and for all. Death and sickness and pain will end. God's kingdom, his rule and reign over all things will be established in fullness and it will last forever. That day is indeed coming, so know that and take heart and live your life here and now in light of that because you've gotten a glimpse through the window of what's going to come. And in Revelation chapter 5, in this vision, John gets a glimpse of heaven. And here's what he sees in in chapter 5 of Revelation. He says that God is seated on a throne and in God's hand is a scroll. And that scroll has writing on both sides of it. And it's sealed with seven seals. And this angel steps forward and says, Who is worthy to open the scrolls and break the seals? And it says that no one was found on earth or under the earth who was worthy to open the scroll. And John says, And so I wept aloud. This is grief. This is saying, oh no, it's lost forever. And then one of the elders said to me, it says there in in chapter 5, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And he says, Then I saw a lamb standing, looking as though it had been slain. 
And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom of priests, a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Okay, the rest of the book of Revelation is all about the story of those, that scroll being opened and those seals being broken. Now let me just begin with this. What, are the, what is that scroll? What is that scroll? See, in the first century, Every parcel of land would have a title deed, much like today we have title offices, right? And this title deed would be written on front and on back. The scroll that we're talking about there in Revelation, you know what it is? It represents the title deed to the earth, to humanity. And when no one is found who can open it, John weeps. Why? Because he thinks, oh no, you know, I'll never be redeemed. No one will ever be redeemed. We're lost forever until he hears the good news. And the good news is this, the Lamb of God can open it. The Lion of Judah, because he was slain by his blood, he has ransomed us. That's the point of this parable, that he treasures you so much that Jesus came and he did everything. He gave his life as a ransom for you so that you could receive the greatest treasure in the world. Forgiveness of sins, a new identity, a relationship with God, life everlasting. And so when we look at the parable in this way, It also begs a few questions. Number one, do you understand how valuable you are? The first time I asked you around, do you understand how valuable this treasure is? But let me ask you in this way. Do you understand how valuable you are, how much you matter to God? Do you see your life, secondly, do you see your life still as your own? Or do you understand that if he has purchased you, then you are not your own, you are his. Therefore, you should live for him. So let me ask you this, which one is it? Is it us or is it him? Who's the treasure in the story? Is it we who are the treasure and he? And, and, what, and he has given everything to get us or is it he who's the treasure and we give everything in order to gain him? Of course, the answer is both. It is absolutely both. He has given everything for us. And if we really see that, if we understand it, if we understand what he has given us, then you will be willing to give everything you have, everything that you are, And you will not hold anything back in order that you might take hold of that. See, that's the message of gospel. What an incredible story this is. But that's not all. There's another parable here, which I read you at the beginning. It's a parable about some fishermen who brought in a load of fish. Some of the fish were kept, others were thrown out. And Jesus says, so it will be at the end of the age. What's the point of that parable? The point of that parable is this. Heaven and hell are real, and not everybody's going to heaven. Heaven and hell are real, and not everybody's going to heaven. And then at the end of the section, he says, do you understand all of these things? Are you, are you picking up what I'm putting down? And they say, yes. And then he says, okay, if you really are, then store these things away in your minds and in your hearts and apply them to your lives as necessary. And that, that's how I want to finish today. That's my encouragement for you. These short stories that are packed with so much meaning, they apply to us all in different ways, depending on where each of us are at. Maybe there are some of you here today and the main thing that you need to take away from this message and apply to your life is the fact that God loves you and he treasures you so much that he would give anything in order to take hold of you. Maybe there are others of you here today and you need to be reminded of this fact that heaven and hell are real and not everybody's gonna go to heaven. 
Maybe today's the day when you need to embrace the gospel. And whatever's been holding you back from taking hold of the gospel, taking that step and putting down your yes and truly saying and giving your life to God and and saying, "I, I don't hold anything back. Today is the day when you need to do that, when you need to embrace Jesus as the, as the all-encompassing greatest treasure without reservation. And maybe there are some of you here today, and the thing you need to be reminded of is this, that because he has purchased you, your life is not your own. You've been purchased with a price, and you've been purchased for a purpose. Whatever it is that you need to take away from this message and apply to your life, my prayer for you is that you would see afresh today how much God loves you, what he has done for you, and what an incredible treasure it is that you have in Jesus. May these truths shape our lives as we leave this place today. Amen? Would you please stand with me and we'll pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the treasure that you are. Lord, we thank you that you would see us as a treasure for which you were willing to give everything. So Lord, may we be those who are not like that rich young ruler, who said, no, I'm not willing to part with the things that I have, the things that I truly love. May we be those who truly give everything and are willing to pay any price, Lord, because that is what you have done for us. Lord, thank you for the gospel, that message that you have given everything for us. And Lord, may we respond by giving all that we are to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.